Hello, Visioneers, and welcome to Small Business Celebration. We're continuing our series on small business owners that not only survived the last recession, but are learning from it and growing during this recession. And this week's guest, well, not only are they growing, they're opening a brand new building. So let's go see what they've got going on inside. This is Small Business Celebration. Join us as we learn from successful business owners and successful business leaders about who they are, from where their business has grown, what they have learned, and where their successful business is going. I'm your host, Michael I. Roberts, and we're gonna learn something that you can use today to grow a strong and profitable business. We're here with Raji Barrer, the COO of Countryside Markets and Restaurants. Welcome to Small Business Celebration. Thank you, Michael. Happy to be here. And for visioneers who don't know who you are, tell us a little bit about yourself and what is it that you do. Okay, well, I am the Chief Operating Officer of Countryside Market and Restaurants. It's a family-owned business, started, God, in uh, 1990 by my uh, father and my uh, stepmother. Mm -hmm. And we have Shell gas stations, we have Taco Bells, we have Pizza Huts, we have Subways. Um, we have a construction company, a real estate development company. And um, we've been doing business here in Kern and Tulare counties for, gosh, almost 30 years. Mm. And I handle all the operations for the businesses, for all the franchises. And um, that's what I do. And in this current time of the recession, COVID recession, it's one thing to take a step back and shirk and put your head in the sand. But before we get into what you guys are doing now... How did your business look back in 2007? In 2007, uh, at that moment, my father had two gas stations mm -hmm. and one standalone subway in Arvin, which I ran. And that's all we had at that time. And we had about uh, 10, 20, maybe 30 employees. And that was in 2007. And today we have over 450 employees. Um, so that's how our business looked in 2007. And then 2008 happened. Yes, 2008 <laughs> happened and we were still looking the same. <laughs> but uh, I want I, I based this on my children's births to know where I was in life. Um, and by 2008, the recession did happen. But, you know, our family, my father has always been a very, um, he's always planned ahead. And I think a lot of business owners, we do plan ahead. And that means we save for that rainy day. Mm. And uh, the only reason we were able to grow our businesses was always to make sure we had enough savings, putting things aside, living within our means. And uh, we built another station in 2009. We bought property and we built another station in Lost Hills. So, so, so yes. right in the middle of this recession of 2008, 2009, you guys weren't taking a step back. You were moving no. full steam ahead. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And what, um, and what did, and how did that impact your business or, or shape the way the thinking is for the business? Well, you know, when I go back to how we started the businesses and my dad's uh, view on life and money, uh, it, we were always raised and uh, the belief of, you know, never live above your means, mm. always save. Uh, we were always taught whatever money is coming in, a certain percentage should be put aside, should be put aside. And uh, my father, I think it goes back to, um, he used to work at the post office and he used to sell real estate. 
and whatever his real estate earnings were, he did not touch, you know, and what he worked at the post office helped pay for us kids and our insurance. But then that real estate earnings, whatever the savings were, is how he bought his first station with a partner. And um, but he didn't quit any other jobs. He continued on. So that is how we were raised to understand it's important to save and to save. I know that's not the answer everybody wants to hear. <laughs> um, it's not rocket science. It really is that basic that you have to make sure that your bottom line makes sense. You're profitable, your food costs, your labor. You have to always keep that in consideration. And we always did. Uh, so we were constantly saving um, our monies. And when opportunity presented itself, we would buy property. We would invest and um, there was a recession, but we bought property and we built and we kept moving and that has not changed. That is how we've always operated and we still continue to operate like that to this day. And that is why you have been able to not only withstand this current recession, but actually expand and grow. You've got brand new brand new property and brand new facility that's opening up off of Comanche, don't you? Yes, we do. It's our it's our first shopping center. It's called Countryside Village. Uh, we have a beautiful gas station that's open. Uh, we have a Taco Bell that went in. Uh, our retail leasable space, the Starbucks, is going to be opening next month. Um, so we're still growing. Uh, again, there's going to be some changes coming up due to COVID this year and thinking about some of the tenants we would have had, thankfully, <laughs> I think it hit just in time where we didn't unfortunately have tenants such as hair salon or a dry cleaner. Well, dry cleaners would have been okay, but you know, hair salons and service lifestyle services that we're actually right now, as you're aware, um, not able to operate, but that is the goal is to get those lifestyle services there and um, get those tenants in the center. But you know, you have to keep growing. And even right now, I know this is a trying time for folks. It's trying for us. Um, but I believe successful business owners always are prepared for that rainy day. You know, it's just in the back of our mind. Like you just, and, and boy, was this a learning lesson. This year. <laughs> we, we didn't have to say, my dad, I just, he just looked at us like, I get it. I get it. I get your point. This is what you were always talking about. But I think that also comes from his background. You know, he, he comes from India and it's a different world in India. Um, and you cannot depend on your government and you cannot depend on others to take care of you. So he has that mindset, you know, survival. And so when he comes here, he has that same attitude and he tries to pass it on to us, us American kids, you know, who think, oh, it's fine, it's America, we're okay, dad, you worry too much. And then COVID hits, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> 44 years later, but sure. nevertheless, it's a, it's a learning experience. And part of the things from that learning experience, we're going to touch on the next segment here. But if Visioneer Nation wants to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Uh, you know, at this point, uh, they can send me an email to my countryside. It's raji at countrysidecorp.com. Sounds good. And we'll be right back. Do you think you have a business that can't be sold during the age of COVID-19? How about the Noriega Hotel? Sold. How about Brit's Diesel and Automotive? Sold! How about the Two Fat Sandwich franchise on Stockdale Highway in Bakersfield? Sold! 
turn your hard-earned business into gold by calling Sunset Business Brokers and Advisors at 661-323-2358 or visit them on their website at sunbeltnetwork.com forward slash bakersfield-ca and don't let your business go to waste. Call Sunset Business Brokers and Advisors at 661-323-2358 today. We're here with Raji Barar, the COO of Countryside Markets and Restaurants, and we were just talking about lessons learned from the past recession and how you're applying them to this recession. But this is also giving you guys an opportunity to take a moment and do some things with your business for the face of it, for the general public, that you haven't been able to do in the past. What are some of the things that you're doing right now, Raji? Well, right now, I think we're taking this, I don't know if you want to call it a pause, uh, but we're taking the time to actually um, get more uh, organized on social media, get our website organized. We're having pictures taken of all of our locations, of the food we serve, just to be more organized Mm. with our Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, website. So we have a one-stop shop for folks who want to apply to work at our locations and folks who want to order off our menu and and especially with curbside pickup and all of this occurring right now, we definitely realize how important it is to have that available um, for our customers. So we are currently working on that right now. And, uh, you know, uh, we've been doing this a long time, but my dad always likes to, he jokes and he goes, you know, you guys are mom and pop. I remember that was, he told my, my brother and me that. And we were just so offended when he said that to us. And he's like, you know, uh, you guys need to get with it. And we looked at each other like, did dad just say that to us? But he said it with, it, we took it with a grain of salt. You know, we take pride in being mom and pop. We never want to lose that. We never want to lose that. But we definitely want to be more accessible to our customers. As, as you know, the world is changing. It's all digital. It's on your phone. And we want to be able to change with them. So that's what we're doing right now. But all this is, has been able to happen because you, the kids, have been able to be heavily involved in the mom-and-pop business, as it were. But you've also been able to grow the business from the original one or two gas station holdings to something significantly larger and growing even further. And this is a pattern of growth that a lot of small business owners have a hard time internalizing. How do you go through and put systems in place and processes in place to be able to grow from that first gas station to that second gas station and go from three or four employees to eight, 10, 20, and more? What What is the methodology that you guys use to make that happen? Well, I think for us, it was a lot of things that came together at once. You know, mm-hmm. uh, for my father, as I mentioned, through when I was in high school, he worked at the post office. He sold real estate on the weekends. And my stepmother ran our little gas station in Oildale. Right. So obviously, there wasn't a lot of growth happening. But in, in a way, there was because he was keeping the seeds, right? He was saving the money mm-hmm. for that one day. And then us children, you know, I went to college. My brother went to college when we were of age and had enough life experience to say, Oh, yes, we'd love to work with you, Dad. That, <laughs> that big check I thought I would get for, for my college degree didn't really sh- didn't look so big after all. Um, so that was important. We had to have that life experience and work somewhere else to really appreciate the opportunity to be your own, own business owner. And I think that is what happened. Uh, I came back. I, I, I started my subway uh, from the ground up. My dad, I remember, came the first day, and he was like, okay. This is how you're going to count your money. This is what you're going to do. All right, bye. 
like, have a nice day. <laughs> sink or swim. And that's how my dad's always raised us. And I was like, okay, like this is it. I have to learn everything and anything. And it was such a great learning experience. And you'll, once you've done something like that, you never forget it. And uh, I did that. And my brother came in, same concept. And then as we got older, um, we saw what each of us was really good at. Mm. I was good with people. I, was, I understood that I could not grow if I did not have good managers, assistant managers in place to do what I could do. How, and we realized. Uh-huh, and how that. did you discern what a good manager was or what was the what kind of process did you put in place to be able to reliably be able to discern who the right people to employ were? Well, I love to interview people. I, I love it. Huh. To this day, it's my favorite thing to do. I love to interview folks. And I don't do uh, the normal textbook interview questions that most people do. Oh. I like to get to, of course, all legal questions. You know, I know all the stuff you can't <laughs> ask people. <laughs> you put that out there. But I like to really know who people are and what they do. I like to find out if they're leaders in their own home. Mm. And those questions might be simple as, well, do you help your parents clean the house? It, that sounds silly, but that is such a valuable question. Sure. And you'll be surprised what people tell you. If you get the person who says, well, yeah, I help my mom every weekend, um, I help clean, I help do this, I've been doing this, versus somebody who's like, oh, I don't know, I, I, I've never, uh, and for me, that says a lot about a person and kind of what kind of leader they're going to be. And even that I don't know, I've never done anything, doesn't mean I'm not going to hire you, I might not hire you in an assistant manager position, but I know I can work with you because you haven't really learned anything yet, and I'm going to help you learn. So I think just for me to sit in with those people and build my team is so important. I kind of know where I want those individuals. Um, and sometimes people that are green are absolutely perfect because they are ready to learn. Um, but for me, when I sit in and I am people who are true leaders, when you start communicating with them, they're going to start talking. And, and you're going to start learning their personalities. And how do you go through and systematize being able to duplicate yourself into your managers, into your assistant managers, into your employees? How do you record systems and evolve those systems so that you can not be in one location all the time or having them call you all the time. They can be self-reliant and be able to run the business without you being there. Definitely. So it was a process. So my first manager, let's say, uh, I started with. For me to train her to do the same thing somewhere else, I would have her sit in with me on interviews. I'd have her sit in to see what I did. And then I'd tell her, now you go do that, the Mm. next person. And then with the next person. So we did that to the point where we, for each brand, we now have a district manager and each location has their own managers and so on and so forth. And that's how we've done it, is constantly teaching what this person has learned for the next manager. And, and for us, I will say that we've had the advantage of being a franchise because in franchise systems, they do have systems in place. Mm. Subway has their own way. Taco Bell has their own way. And what we did is we took their ways, tweaked it to our to customize, to fit the way we operate. And so we have the paper, let's say, right? We have the documents we can check off and say, A, B, and C, you should do. But we add our own touch to it and how we relate with our folks we hire, which I think is so key and different. And um, I believe every organization has their own culture, their own flavor. And um, for us, we emphasize that with our managers. And um, they're the lifeblood, you know, if, if there's ever an issue at your organization, like if there's something happening, your employees are quitting left and right, you don't have to look far. It's your manager, always. And um, 
that's where we spend a lot of time is training our managers. Uh, and in, that's how we duplicate it. And that's how I'm able to keep moving on and not having to be at each location because there's no way I would make them all in one day. Can you believe our 100th episode is right around the corner? Neither can I, but who would you like to see as our guest here on Small Business Celebration's 100th episode? Well, if you've got a thought, leave their name in the comment section below and your guest of your choice could be here on Small Business Celebration for our 100th episode. So leave your thoughts in the comment section below and who knows, your guest could be our guest here on Small Business Celebration's 100th episode. We're here with Raji Barar, the COO of Countryside Markets and Restaurants. And you have been born and bred here in Bakersfield, have you not? I was born in Fresno, but okay. I moved to uh, Kern County when I was 11. So Central Valley kid. Very yes. good. And uh, graduated from CSUB. And now you are on the foundation of CSUB. Yes, yes. And, and one of the great things about being involved with a very successful business, a family-owned business, is that you're able to give back to the community, and you're able to be involved with the community. And you are the founder of the Bakersfield Sikh Women's Association. And, yeah, I'm the co-founder, yeah. Mm -hmm. And tell us, first of all, why did you start the organization? Okay, well, um, I'm first-generation Indian American. Okay. My parents are from Punjab, India. And um, uh, our families that came in those days, you know, they worked really, really hard. You know, mm -hmm. the American success story. They started in the fields. They were, did farm work. And they put us all through school and worked really hard for us. But my friends and I, you know, this generation, we kind of were like, well, what are we going to do? Our parents did this. What are we doing? Are we just self-serving? Are we going to give back to our community? Mm -hmm. And that's where the idea grew from, that it was time to do something. We were at that age where we need to do more than just worry about ourselves. And that's where the foundation uh, arose. And, you know, I always say this, we didn't know what we we're doing. <laughs> like, well, 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 you know, what did the foundation do? Right, let's do something good. You know, we want to sure. do something good. And we're like, we'll do scholarships. And that was our main focus because that seemed easy enough. And I remember the first year we kind of sold discount coupons to Tahoe Joe's to raise money. <laughs> I think we raised about $5,000 and... You know, we gave a scholarship at Ridgeview High School because there was um, there's a huge Sikh population in the Southwest. Sure. And we knew a lot of those families were uh, coming from India pretty new. Uh, we have a very patriarchal culture, mm -hmm. Sikh culture. And uh, us young women or older women, we want to do um, kind of break some stereotypes, change some barriers that young girls might face. And we felt that we're all very good representatives to do that, maybe communicate with these families to give their daughters a better chance. Because, you know, our world works better when everyone's involved. Mm. And uh, so that was kind of the, the reason for this. And then that, you know, our association, I mean, it's grown. And we've now, we've given out over $143,000 in scholarships. And now not just to see girls, but to, you know, little white kids and black kids and brown kids and boys and girls because... <laughs> The, the Sikh faith believes everyone's equal. Mm -hmm. So we're like, well, we should be doing equal. And then I think it's really important to uh, go out there and can take care of your entire community. And that's what we do. We started a few um, cancer screenings. We partnered with Adventist Health, uh, Kaiser. We've done uh, breast cancer screenings, ovarian cancer screenings, stuff that in our culture, women don't really like to go to the doctor, taboo issues. We had some unfortunate issues in our community with um, – a few uh, murders and family violence and things of that nature. We started a crisis line, uh, which is a resource line in bilingual in Punjabi. We partnered with um, 
the DA, Cindy Zimmer, and the Family Justice Center to get folks some assistance. And so it does things of that nature. It's just grown and evolved. And we're so blessed because Kern County, everybody here wants to help. And I just love that about this this county. Everybody steps in and helps out. And so the association has grown accordingly with them. And speaking of of overcoming, as it were, and some of the challenges that you have faced. You are a very eloquent writer, and <laughs> you you put a quote up on your Facebook page that I thought was wonderful, that I'd like you to expand upon, which is, Growing up, I was told to stay out of the sun or I would go too dark. Yesterday, I sat at St. Peter's Church while the sun was setting, beamed in through the windows, and hit my face. I did not turn away. Mm-hmm. Why did you post that? Well, uh, I was invited to speak at the Unity Rally at St. Peter's Church. Mm. Uh, this summer, we've had, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a very um, different summer. You know, there's a lot of social justice issues that came up with the murder of George Floyd and talking about racism and anti-blackness. And I was asked to speak. And at my first thought was, well, what can I say? I'm not, not African-American. That was my first thought. Right. But then I started delving deeper and realizing that racism and anti-blackness is not just a black and white issue, not by any means. It crosses all cultures, it crosses all races, even mine. And that was a truth that I think was important for us to speak in our community because it's time for everyone to take a look at themselves. And in our community, we have colorism. You know, the lighter you are, the more beautiful you're considered, the darker you are, the less valuable you are. Um, My parents are from India, we have a caste system. It's horribly racist. It's mm. it's absolutely it's horrendous. Based on what you do for a living, you're considered a lower caste. You cannot intermarry. And I think it's hilarious because they're all Indian. I mean, there's no <laughs> other. I just it's mind boggling what human beings do to themselves. Right. And so for me, I'm looking at this black and white issue going on kind of from here going. You guys know it's not just you two. Right. It, it's everybody who does this. And so I felt it was important to start being very honest in our community and addressing it and not just pointing at white people or black people and saying, you know, like I always say this, my dad taught me when you're pointing your finger at someone, there's three fingers pointing back at you. Right. And uh, that's the way I felt I could contribute at St. Peter's Church was to be able to discuss what's happening in my culture. And um, it is true. We uh, are very, there's definitely anti-blackness in our community. They're 100%. You are very adept in speaking, like I said, you're very eloquent, and also politically as well. (laughs) And you are on the Central Valley Regional Water Quality Control Board. You also are, were formerly on the Kern County Fair Board. And both of those positions are appointed by the governor of California. And at the same time, you're also very well acquainted with our local Republican congressman, our Republican state senator, and our Republican uh, assemblyman. Definitely. A lot of business owners uh, either shirk away from politics because they don't want to alienate their customers, or they choose to use politics as a bully pulpit, which does, in effect, in some ways, alienate other customers. How do you navigate these waters by being able to truly be bipartisan? Well, I think, I think uh, exactly what you said. I think it's, I think these uh, people right now we are so either right or left. It's mm. so divisive. I've never seen it like this ever. 
But for me, I am a business owner. Um, I want to talk to the folks who are regulate, regulating me. That's really important to me. Right. How are you going to be a successful business owner if you have no say in folks regulating your bottom line? So absolutely, I'm involved. Uh, and, you know, what I am not, to me, I'm concerned about what happens here in the county, mm-hmm. what happens in uh, my state towards my business. And I'm going to reach out to my elected leaders, Republican and Democrat. And I'm going to, I'm going to, they, they want to represent me. So they're going to hear from me. And <laughs> Whether they want to or not. <laughs> Whether they want to or not. And, and it's not an adversarial relationship by any means. I respect what they do. And I say that because I was a city council member once in the city of Arvin. And, and I realized the commitment it takes to be an elected official. I feel for them because I've been there. And I think a lot of folks don't understand the commitment that electeds have. It is a 24-7 job and it's thankless. Right. But I appreciate what they are doing because deep down, mostly everyone who I've met who's been elected, they really want to do something better for the community. I have not met one person who does not believe that. Now, do their intention, do their views align with everybody else's? No, they cannot. You cannot move forward if you do not have opposing views at some point. That's how the friction stuffs and you go forward. Right. So I appreciate that. And um, I have wonderful relationships with our Republican leaders and Democratic leaders. I think we all should. Uh, it, how could you not? I think it's so critical. I, I, and I, you learn from other folks. You know, I, if somebody has a different view than me, I want to hear that because maybe there's something I'm going to pick up on that that's going to help me. And that's how I approach life. And I think that's very important to be successful in anything. I don't want to be the person who shuts somebody off because their views are different than me. Oh, no. Could you imagine children not listening to their parents ever? <laughs> well, that's the game with some of them. <laughs> right? So what would this world look like? So that right. is what I do. And I do not push my views on my customers or anything but that nature. But to me, it's I'm a business owner. I want to have my voice heard. Um, if there's something Caltrans is doing that I don't agree with, I'm going to say it. Uh, and, and again, you know, being a part of somebody when I do serve on the water board, I'm a business owner. So when I have a farmer come up to the water board or oil uh, oil group come up to the water board, I understand their concerns. I understand their bottom line. At the same token, I understand being a regulator and what that means too. So I think it's so important for business owners to be involved because we have a different view that most folks don't understand. And actually, when you look at a city or a government, it is business. We're talking about finances and making sure that we aren't in the hole or we're not, you know, in the in the red. So it's important. How can you not understand those concepts and be in an elected position? Uh, I learned that in Arvin. I learned it. I was very surprised at some of the folks that were elected and um, their lack of education in different arenas that would make a city or a county or a state successful. Hmm. And it kind of frightened me, <laughs> to be quite honest. Uh, it was a rude awakening. And for that reason, I wanted to make sure I still stayed involved. I definitely could not be elected official because that is a way whole other ball game. Um, I love what I get to do. And so that's why I've always stayed involved as much as I can. What is something that you have learned from your involvement in politics that shapes the way you do business today? Oh, wow. Um, 
I've learned so much. I realized how important it is before we start a new project. Let's say I understand how important it is to get in front of the city or the county uh, with your plans or ideas to find out if there's going to be any roadblocks coming up or is this even feasible? Uh, just that basic information that most folks might not think about when they buy a piece of dirt. Uh, do they know what restrictions might be coming up? Uh, I've learned a lot of things. I sell gas. You know, I sell gas. You don't think I pay attention to the, the laws pa passed by the Air Board regarding, <laughs> you know, uh, electric vehicles and trucks and uh, regulations. Uh, there's so many things I learn. And that right there for us going forward, do you really think I'm going to be building gas stations in 20 years? No. Right. It, it, so, but that is important to really understand versus somebody who goes, ah, that's never going to happen. <laughs> um, I think the largest person in, in the stock market making money right now is Elon Musk and Tesla. Right. That's something that I, I need to pay attention to. Sure. And when our governor is passing regulation and the air board passes regulation that all big commercial trucks by night, by in 20 years have to be electric. Right. I'm paying attention. Sure. Sure. <laughs> so, sure. So for our next investment, that matters. And which way are we going to go? I don't want to be blockbuster, right? <laughs> they have one so, store left in Oregon. <laughs> so, I mean, there's so many things that I've learned. Um, and I've also learned the whole process, how policy works and how uh, just so many things that have just been um, invaluable. What is one thing that Vision Your Nation could do today to grow a strong and profitable business? Okay. I think this is really key. I think this is really important. Um, and I've said this before. I think any small business, any big business, you really have to know what is your vision? What is your vision statement? What is your mission statement? I don't really care what you want to call it, but you have to have that one for your business. If you don't know where you are going, you are not going to be successful. For us, our family's mission, vision, whatever you want to call it, is that we are here to be in service. We are here to be in service to our customers, to our employees, and to our community. So those three core values, whenever we take on a new business, whenever a new venture, we look at those and see if that is going to fulfill our intention of growth. But I encourage all the vision listening, please, you need to sit down and decide what is your mission or your vision statement for your business. It's key. Raji. It's been a pleasure having you here on Small Business Celebration, and we really look forward to you joining us again very soon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. Do you think you have a business that can't be sold during the age of COVID-19? How about the Noriega Hotel? Sold. How about Brit's Diesel and Automotive? Sold. How about the Two Fat Sandwich franchise on Stockdale Highway in Bakersfield? Sold. Turn your hard-earned business into gold by calling Sunset Business Brokers and Advisors at 661-323-2358 or visit them on their website at sunbeltnetwork.com forward slash bakersfield-ca and don't let your business go to waste. Call Sunset Business Brokers and Advisors at 661-323-2358 today. Who is a visioneer? A visioneer is a small business leader who is a pioneer that has vision. A visioneer is someone willing to see the world, not as it is, but as it could be, and is willing to do something about it. 
A Visioneer is ethical, smarter, faster, and leaner than the mainstream competition. A Visioneer gives value first because Visioneers are in business for the long haul. Visioneers understand the difference between saving money and earning a profit. Visioneers define their destiny. Visioneers create their own luck. Visioneers surround themselves with successful, like-minded people. Visioneers are renegades who defy the mainstream competition and are ready to change the world. Are you a visioneer? Join the Visioneer tribe at Small Business Celebration on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram today. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Celebration podcast. Some of today's music was brought to you by Ted Hammond, and you might find more of Ted's music at ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. That's ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. If you enjoyed this episode and gained some insight from it for your business, subscribe to the Small Business Celebration podcast at iTunes.com forward slash Small Business Celebration and give us a five-star review. Also, if there's a business you'd like us to interview, reach out to us on LinkedIn and Facebook and let us know. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Roberts of the Small Business Celebration Podcast, and we wish you a strong and profitable business. Hello, Visioneers. Usually the most interesting conversations that I have with Visioneer guests happen after the recorder and the camera are turned off. Except in this instance with Raji, where the camera was accidentally left on. And Raji gave us permission so that you could get some bonus material and get an inside glimpse into that conversation so that you can gain even more information to grow a strong and profitable business. Did you enjoy this? Yeah, I did. It was fast. I mean, it didn't seem long. It was fast. And I mean, it's almost been an hour. Yep. yep. I wouldn't have thought that. <laughs> that was good. Well, good. I like with that fact that you're giving folks uh, the reality. Like, you know, I know in school, you, you know, you get your business degree and you can do all that, but real world experience folks don't learn that. Right. As a you know, small business owner, there's so many things they don't understand. Like, you know, do I use paychecks or do I do QuickBooks? And that sounds, but that's so important right. to understand. Are you going to pay your taxes? You know, your employer training tax. Are you? What does that mean? Um, and that is a whole different education. It is. That does not get taught in school. You're right. And it should. It should. But it, it definitely should for a small business owner because you learn that on your own from the ground up. Yep. You know, sometimes the letter from the state franchise tax board saying you didn't do this right. <laughs> well, and, uh, well, you know, that is one of the, you know, I used to joke about it a lot when I started this program is our demographic are the people who have been in business for usually three or four years. And they've got a handful of employees, but they've started to get those very curious letters from the California Tax Franchise Board that they don't really understand. <laughs> and that, that's our target demographic. So, Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's quite the learning experience um, for folks. Uh, but I, I definitely think a lot of small, like people who tell me, they call me, they're like, can you, and I give them advice and they want to start a new business. They want to start a new business. Right. And I think they're going to be rich overnight. <laughs> <laughs> And I, and I have to tell them like, oh, and it, now it's even getting harder. Like even with the franchise, you right. know, you're basically buying yourself a job, right? depending on the majority of the franchise you're getting. But the goal is to grow, right? Right. If you make that next one, then you're getting in a better situation. And, but a lot of those folks, they just hire people. Right. And they, they don't put themselves on schedule. Right. Right. And they don't do like you were talking about earlier is take the time to train. 
the people no. to be there. Well, no, they themselves need to get in there. And, right. and they can't be that owner who sits in the back on the computer making a schedule. And no, like you, if you're owning a little fast food joint, you better be on the register and you better yep. be helping sweep. Um, a lot of my employees that I had when I first started Subway, my original manager, she was 16 at that time. I mean, she wasn't a manager then, but now she's my district manager right. for all the Taco Bells. Same girl has a degree from Cal State in math. I mean, she stayed with us and she went through school, but obviously we took care of her in a different, she's great at what she does. Um, but they would watch me do everything, right. sweep, clean everything. So there's a different level of respect. Um, there's a little bit of snobbery when it comes to fast food chains and owners, and I've seen it. Right. Um, where they don't want to do the cleaning. Well, and it's a very humbling experience because you respect your team members. Uh, if I got on the Taco Bell line, I would mess it up. <laughs> I, but I know that, so I respect my team members. Right. And I don't think what they do is like not important. Oh, it's very important. Actually, right now, when we are struggling with COVID and people calling off and whole shifts, yeah. It's, yeah, it's a nightmare. Right yeah. now, it's a nightmare. And we are trying to get through this. And um, I feel like a public health nurse more than I do anything right now. <laughs> but... But, you know, uh, it's a learning experience. And every week we learn something new and keep going. But anyways, thank you so much. It was fun. I Did you enjoy our conversation with Raji and the bonus material? Well, subscribe to the Small Business Celebration Program here on YouTube by hitting the subscribe button and the little bell next to it so you can get notifications as well as subscribe on Apple Podcasts and on Stitcher so that you can continue to learn something new and important so you can grow a strong and profitable business.